It's not exactly news, is it, that revenge tends to end in disaster for everyone involved. For example, take Shakespeare's play Titus Andronicus. In this play, there's a great Roman general uh, named Titus, and he's returning home to Rome, victorious in his campaigns against the Goths, these barbarians. And he marches into the city with two prisoners. One of them is Tamara, the queen of the Goths. The other one is her eldest son. And he marches them through the city, past all the cheering crowds, all the way to his family's ancestral tomb, where he turns to Tamara and he says, Your son must die. Your son must die in atonement for the deaths of my sons who were slain in battle against your soldiers. And Tamara there in the street falls to her knees and begs him to spare the life of her eldest son. But Titus is hard-hearted and unyielding. And the son is beheaded there in the street while his mother cries. Now, soon after, in a strange twist of events, Tamara is elevated to become the Empress of Rome. And the first thing she does when she ascends to the throne is she vows revenge on Titus Andronicus and all his family. And she proceeds over the course of the play meticulously and mercilessly to destroy everyone and everything that Titus has ever loved. All his sons, his only daughter, his brother, everyone is either killed or worse. And by the end of the play, practically everyone is dead. Rome itself is on the brink of destruction. And the only feeling which I felt at the end of this play was a sense of utter weariness and exhaustion, almost a kind of despair, and above all, a sense of the pointlessness of everything that had just happened over all five acts. What was it all for? This escalating series of tit-for-tat, revenge in exchange for revenge for revenge, all leading to mutual destruction. Now, this is the reason why we ever had such a thing as the lex talionis, the so-called law of retaliation, which Jesus quotes in today's gospel. An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. And it sounds barbaric to us today, naturally. But originally, this law was designed to be a moderating influence, a kind of a restraint on mankind's dark desire for revenge. The point was that to someone like Tamara, for example, this law could say, no, no, you don't get to kill ten of his family members because he killed one of yours. One for one, that's all. Strict justice. And certainly, this law does not go nearly far enough. As the proverb says, you know, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. But it is a step in the right direction. And the book of Leviticus takes an even further step, as we heard in today's first reading. Uh, bear no grudge against any of your people. Hold no hatred for them in your heart. 
Take no revenge against your neighbor, but be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, we heard in the Gospel, takes things a step further still. And he says, it's not only confined to your people, to your neighbors, to your brothers and sisters, but offer no resistance even to one who is evil. If he comes and strikes you on your cheek, turn the other cheek as well. If he comes and demands that you give him your cloak, give it to him. Give him your tunic too. And if those Roman soldiers come and press you into service for a mile, go for two miles. Now what is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, trying to teach us with these exhortations? Because remember who's speaking. He's not just another lawgiver like Moses or Hammurabi. He's not just proposing a more extreme code of conduct. No, he's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He's the one who came to heal our wounded hearts. And his words in the Sermon on the Mount are addressed to the roots of an evil down deep in our human hearts. Indeed, the roots go even deeper than that. They go into our our minds. The roots of this evil, which flowers forth, if you will, in acts of revenge, the roots of this evil begin with a single word. Mine. Mine. Brothers and sisters, whenever we begin to regard anyone or anything as exclusively, inalienably, my possession as this thing to which I have exclusive rights, my body, my time, my life, my property, my money. God help anyone who tries to take it from me or do any harm to it. Well, what does this begin to breed in our hearts? This attitude of possessiveness, of exclusivity, it naturally will bring about in us a great fear a fear of loss. For we begin to think, well, what if someone comes and tries to take it from me? And indeed, if someone does, then we begin to feel that thirst for revenge, to make them suffer as they've made us suffer. So Jesus wants to cure us of our desire for revenge, but he wants to go deeper than that. He wants to cure us of the root of the problem. He wants to cure us of the greedy, grasping possessiveness of our wounded human hearts. Listen now to the words of St. Paul in today's epistle to the Corinthians. Everything is yours, he says. Everything belongs to you. Heaven and earth, life and death, the past, the future, it's all yours. How can he say this? Because you are Christ's. Christ is the creator of everything that is. He alone has the exclusive right to everything which exists, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It all belongs to him. And insofar as you and I belong to him, then we share in his lordship as stewards. Much as the son of a king can ride freely all over the land, 
We share as stewards in the Lord's kingship over all creation. That's the majesty of being sons of God. But the majestic vocation to which we've been called also brings with it an absolute poverty. Think about it. Everything is yours. But it's yours only because you are Christ's. Nothing is yours exclusively. Nothing is yours absolutely. There is nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth to which you can claim an absolute and exclusive and inalienable right. Not your body, not your life, not your property. Nothing. Everything you have is given to you in trust by the Lord. Therefore, we are called to deal with creation, with all that we have and all that we are, in the way that our Lord did. Look at him on the cross. This is the God of heaven and earth, one higher than the angels who came down and made himself less than the lowest of men. On the cross, he spread out his arms and gave all that he is, all that he had in an act of total self-gift, self-donation without remainder, an act of absolute love, despoiling himself to make us rich. He laid aside his exclusive rights to all creation, even to his own body, even to his own spirit. When he breathed out his last, he breathed his Holy Spirit into us. We have all received of that Spirit, the Spirit of the Crucified One, of that love which poured itself out absolutely for mankind. And now, my brothers and sisters, we are called to go and do likewise. Not to follow the inclination of our hearts, to grasp, but rather to hold all that we have with open hands. If we do this, we will truly be holy as the Lord our God is holy, and we will be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So, brothers and sisters, next time that you feel a twinge of annoyance at someone who's wasted your time, when you feel righteous indignation at someone who's taken something that rightfully belonged to you, call on the Holy Spirit. Call on the Spirit who dwells in your heart, the Spirit of Christ. Beg Him to inspire in you the same attitude which was in Christ Jesus, an attitude of love, of self-forgetfulness, the opposite of possession, an attitude of self-donation. And unlike Titus Andronicus, who doomed himself in an act of revenge, taking another's life, remember, in atonement for the lives of his sons, let us take as our model Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who offered his own life in atonement for the sins of all. Praised be Jesus Christ.